outcome on what you desire. And she said to Zach, just wait. He's going to tell you you need better desires. The Oswald kids have been listening to me preach for a long time, and they know how it all goes. They, they know all the jujitsu moves and so on and so forth. But I really do believe that statement that God wants you, God wants you to spend your excess income on your desires is extraordinarily biblical and important. Look at Colossians 3 with me, if you would, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all of these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Now, as we see at the end of that verse, and it's mentioned a number of times in that passage, Colossians 3.17 wants us to do everything with thanksgiving, including radical generosity, including the kind of radical generosity that we see in the book of Acts. So the idea is that when we see people selling their fields or or surrendering big chunks of income for the kingdom, the idea is that they did that with thankfulness. They did that with a feeling of gratitude that they were allowed both to possess what the Lord had provided and also give what the Lord had provided. In other words, they were spending their excess income in a way that was compliant or obedient to Colossians 3.17. They were spending it on their desires. And what they desired, of course, was to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The whole goal of the gospel is to make you a genuinely joyful, generous person with your whole being. And the way that most of us approach giving is to ask, have I given enough? And one of the first steps we must undergo as we transform our heart according to Jesus' heart is to understand that that's the wrong question. It's always the wrong question. That's not how Jesus asks the question The goal of the gospel is for us to give our whole selves, our whole being up to God, and to do that with a sense of joy and thanksgiving. So when Jesus says that that two statements summarize the whole law, summarize the whole word of God, that you're supposed to love God with your whole being, and you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself, you can see encapsulated in those two phrases this whole sense 
that the whole goal of the gospel, the whole goal of what God's doing in our lives is to make us eager to pour ourselves out like Jesus is eager to pour himself out. So governments, I don't know if you've noticed, cannot trigger desire, right? So they take money through legislative means. They take money they think they need through the law, which is what you do if you can't affect someone's desire. If you can't make someone, the government has no, uh, as hard as they may try, I don't think they try very hard, but as hard as they might try, they could not put in your heart a desire to give your whole life to them, let alone, you know, your taxes. Legal avenues cannot transform the heart, right? And the problem is not only that it can't transform the heart, but God simply is not satisfied. This is key. God is not satisfied with a single drop of generosity that isn't accompanied with joy. Whew. Like, that's amazing to me. God is not satisfied. Like, like even the tiniest eking bit of generosity that you might manufacture through some legal approach to the question of giving, God is not pleased with any of that if it's not accompanied with joy. When we attempt to prescribe behaviors without transforming desires, what are we doing? Well, we're engaged in the law, right? That's, that's the whole concept there. Even if we get an individual through many um, threats and enticements, if we get an individual to, 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 to pry open their wallet and put a few singles in the plate, we need to understand that we're setting that person up for failure at a number of levels. And one of those levels is, is that anything you do because you think you have to out of a sense of duty, you will boast about. So one of the things we do when we apply a heavy hand to the issue of giving and use mostly guilt to, 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 to kind of push people in the direction, mostly guilt, mostly fear, is we're setting them up to give and then to boast in how obedient they were to this hard and difficult call that God placed in their life. But if we give someone the desire to give, then what happens is they don't boast because they're doing what they want to do. And who boasts about doing what they want to do? Who boasts about about going and getting themselves an ice cream cone? Like, you know, that's that's what I want. Like, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing anything morally brave when I go and get myself an ice cream cone, right? I'm just, like, doing what I want. I like ice cream. When we get people to the point where they begin to give as a, sense of treating themselves as a sense of blessing themselves as a sense of enjoying themselves when we get people to that point now we're talking about what god wants when it comes to giving not only our money or our time but our whole lives when we get people to the point where they give generously in joy now we're getting somewhere Doug Wilson does a great job encapsulating this idea in a couple sentences, and he says it this way. If there is not a song in it, it is not a biblical sacrifice. Without a song, it is a poor me, look at the martyr go sacrifice. 
And these kinds of sacrifices have a very poor return. So for for Wilson, he says, if there's not a song in it, if there's not joy rooted in the act of giving, then then it's not a biblical sacrifice. It's a woe is me, look at the poor martyr go sacrifice. Some of the most generous people, people that have been generous with their whole lives, don't even like the word sacrifice to describe what they've chosen to do with their time and their money and their very health. One of those men is David Livingston. David Livingston gave his whole life to unlocking the interior of Africa for the gospel. And David Livingston did not want to be thought of as a man who had sacrificed anything, even though his body was wrecked with parasites, even though he lost loved ones, even though he died in the interior of Zambia, still undergoing the work. He had a very hard life, folks. Very hard life. Um, If I wanted to go gross out, I could talk about some of the the symptoms that he dealt with in all of these wonderful um, parasites that that hang out in the interior of Africa. But he was he was firm. It's like don't don't say don't say I've made a sacrifice. Listen carefully to what he says. For my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward in healthful activity, (laughs) the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter, away with the word in such a view, with such a thought, It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then, with a foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life, may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All of these are nothing compared with the glory of, which shall be revealed in and for us, I never made a sacrifice. Livingston not only gave his life to the mission, but he did so thinking he was getting a good deal. I had a friend who who had a friend who was a Hispanic pastor who during the day worked in a slaughterhouse uh, uh, processing hogs. And then at night would spend all of his evening doing ministry. And this dude was a cool dude. And, and my friend would see him. They, they ministered in the same town. And one day they were both at the gas station. And, and, and my friend, he says, hey, Juan, how's it going? He's like, oh, man. He's like, I am overworked, but I am overpaid. Overworked, but overpaid. And he, he didn't think that a life spent paying his own way to do ministry in a poor place that, by the way, was chocked full of illegal immigrants, he did not see himself as a victim or even as a sacrifice. He was tired when he said, man, I'm overworked, but I am overpaid. A year before he died on his 59th 
birthday. By the way, Livingston died on his knees in prayer. Zambians are funny people. They, they loved him by this point, and, and they knew that they probably should send his body back to, to Britain to be buried, and, and, and they did, but they took his heart first, and they buried it in Zambia. So a year before that happened, Livingston wrote on his birthday in his journal, My birthday! Exclamation point. This is a man laden with diseases, seeing death all around him, starving. You know, my birthday! 59 years old. Who is even happy about their birthday when they're 59? My birthday! My Jesus! My King! My life! My all! I again dedicate my whole self to thee. Doesn't that sound a little bit like a hymn? And that makes me see this sense that Wilson referred to of without a song, it is not a biblical sacrifice. That there was a song playing in Livingston's heart and it didn't feel to him like a sacrifice. And it's so interesting because Colossians 3 is such a musical text and I'll show you that in a minute. Now, here's the problem with everything I've just done. We have... We have this approach that we don't realize we have, which is called the Christian quarantine. And once we hear about someone like uh, Livingston or George Mueller or someone like this, we instinctively place them in what we think is a, a posture of humility, which it's not, it's pride. But we, we think that we're being humble and we're putting them, we quarantine them over into the category of super saints but the thing we're doing there is we're not actually being humble. We're trying to get them as far away as possible from being a real model for how we should live our lives. Right? So, so what we're doing when we say, well, that guy's amazing. Like, I could never. But what we're really doing there is, like, get him in the quarantine. I'll, we, we call it a trophy shelf or, you know, we, we think of it as we're putting him on a pedestal. No, we're getting him away from having any actual influence in how we might actually live our lives. But the thing I want you to see with Livingston, and the thing I want you to see about yourself, is that it wasn't that he didn't have other desires. He did. It, it wasn't as if he didn't struggle with the desire not to be in Africa. He, he says as much. A big key to understanding yourself is to realize that you, at every moment, have competing desires within your heart. This is really important. Sometimes when we're younger, we, we don't have anyone to just tell us, give us the basic uh, operation manual on how we work. And, and this is one of those things that really wants you to pay attention to because this could be a great source of frustration in your life if you don't realize this. You have ongoing in your heart at all times Mutually contradictory desires which compete for each other, which compete against each other. Here's the weird thing about it. They demand the same moment. They demand the same moment. Meaning, you can, either, you can only choose one of maybe 12 or 24 desires in each moment. And you are chocked full, and I am chocked full, of these competing and contradictory desires and we're always going to, we're always going to have to sort through those desires 
and choose by use of our will which desire we will act upon. Now, some of these desires are loud within our hearts. And some of them are quiet. So quiet you might not even notice them sometimes. Now, the problem is, is that I think instinctively, just, just based on being human beings, the tendency is to assume that the loud desires are more powerful or more pressing. But that's not really true. Some of the quietest desires that you don't even know about have more power over your life than the loud, showy ones. Think of it this way. You've got all these desires in your heart and they're playing at different volumes. Okay? So, generally speaking, and I'll unfold this more in a moment, generally speaking, those desires, the volume, like the loudness of those desires is connected to time. And that's a very interesting thing. And we'll talk more about this again next week, but I'll, un- I'll unpack that a little bit more in a moment. But let's just talk about a few obvious examples. So, so an obvious example of this sense of competing desires would be with diet. So at any given moment, you'll have the desire to eat something. For me, it's like every given moment. To eat something that isn't compatible with the other desires you have. Like the desire to lose weight or to be healthy or to see your grandkids or whatever. So, so in that moment... that. There's, there's desires in your heart, and they're competing against each other for that moment. Like, you have to choose. You have to choose which one you do. Do I eat the donut? Now, that desire will probably be pretty loud. Or do I not eat the donut? Because there's this quieter desire that's happening in my heart that wants something on a long-term basis. So another example would be marriage. You know, um, there are moments when you are consciously aware of, and you, you always have this desire, you desire to have this kind of joyful, happy fellowship with your spouse. And at the same time, periodically, you may want to just really give them a piece of your mind. And, and what's so interesting about marriage is like those, that desire to give them a piece of their mind, there's something about that that shows up right before you leave on vacation right before date night, right before church, etc. And you're probably consciously aware of this sense in which you have these competing desires. I want to just kind of have a good day, free of conflict, happiness, peace, etc. But man, I really would feel good right now if I just gave them a piece of my mind. Desires are competing against each other. Now, it's really important, like I said a moment ago, for a certain kind of person to understand this about themselves. Because they're not seeing as much progress as they would like in their sanctification. And maybe even they're seeing the possibility that they are actually kind of self-sabotaging their own happiness. Because they don't understand this basic issue. That you are full of competing desires. So I would like to play this out a little bit further you know, when I was younger, I spent way too much money on stereos. That's still my thing. I have a weakness for radios. And I used to go to Radio Shack in the mall. And I would look at all the radios on the shelves. And at a certain stage in my 
development as a human. I was enough of a stinker to turn all of them on different radio stations and set them at full blast and run out. Making the minimum wage employee at Radio Shack so happy. But I want you to imagine that for a moment. I want you to imagine a room with 24 radios in it. And they're all set to different stations. And they're all playing different songs at different volumes. Some of them are loud. Some of them are quiet. That's a fair description of how the Bible presents our hearts. It's full of a bunch of different desires. Some of them feel like, man, I've got to obey this desire right now or I'm going to die. And some of them are super quiet that we don't necessarily even know. They're playing different songs. They're competing for our attention. And as I mentioned before, this, this sense of time is interesting because I've noticed both in my life and in, in counseling with others that, that the desires that seem to play the loudest in the room are the ones that have the most immediate payoff. So their volume is pretty high. And then the desires that are the quietest tend to be the ones that have the most delay in payoff. And this is going to talk more about this next week because this is a huge issue when it comes to generosity because we're trading immediate, relatively immediate gratification for eternal satisfaction. That's a, that's a, that's a challenge. Those two things play at different volumes in our heart. So, so going back to the food idea for a minute. So, there's, so look at my heart, and there's a room full of radios, and one radio is playing a quiet, peaceful, confident song. If you eat healthy for a year, you'll be much better off. But there's another radio in the same room, and it's blaring, and it's this loud death metal tune, and it's just, eat the cake, eat the cake, eat the cake. And there's these desire that are just all playing at different tunes. And it's like, why is, the, why is the eat the cake music so much louder than the you'll be healthy in a year? It's a big question. It really affects a lot of how we live our lives and really what we do with our stuff and how we talk to people and everything. It's like if we could figure out what's going on there, that, that'd be good. Livingston, it's easy to look at a guy like that and think that he's a guy with only one radio in his room. But that's what we do, right? We, we turn them into weirdos so that we don't have to be challenged by their example. But he wasn't, there wasn't only one song playing in his heart. Even within that quote, he says, anxiety, sickness, suffering, danger now and then, a foregoing of common conveniences and charities of this life make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this be only for a moment. He, he had competing desires just like we all do. He wasn't a, an alien or a robot. He, he didn't like sickness any more than you like sickness. He didn't like suffering. He didn't like danger any more than you do. He had the desire to not be sick. He had the desire to be safe just like you do. He had a room full of radios too. He had a room full of competing desires he loved conveniences. He loved the charities of life as he refers to them, the conveniences of life. So it's not like he didn't have competing desires. He most certainly did. And there was a season here or there where those competing desires, the volume would increase and he would notice this tune in his heart 
that says you don't have to be in Africa. You should really consider leaving. And he could hear it. And it was the desire to be back in London and to drink tea and eat crumpets. And to smoke his pipe and to to be a well-renowned physician and explorer and receive the acclaim due for all of his past acts of heroism. And there were all these other tunes playing in his heart. He was celibate most of the time and lots of other stuff going on. So what I think is happening when we see a man that we're tempted to quarantine into being other than us, what I think is happening is what we see in Colossians 3. I want you to pay attention to two things as I read that passage again. Number one, the musical quality of the text itself. And number two, I want you to notice this sense of, if you could pick up on any language there that might be akin to turning something up, turning the volume up. Okay, like Look for the musical qualities, but also look, is there anything there that you see it has this sense of the will going in and saying, I'm going to turn this up. I'm going to make this more dominant. I'm going to amplify this. So let's start at verse 14. Above all else, these, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were indeed, to which you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So one of the things I see is a constant reference to the musical qualities, including uh, in verse 14, put on love, which brings everything into harmony. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I want you to see this sense in which Paul is saying there are tunes that are playing in your heart that you can choose to turn up. And he's saying, put on love. What does he mean by put on love? He means turn up love. That's a song you want louder than it is now. Let the peace of Christ rule. Now, in, in, in this weird sense, there's, this, there's almost this sense, let the peace of Christ rule. It's, it's almost as if the room is full of radios, and you go and find the ones that play the Jesus songs, and you turn them up. And those desires, we'll talk about this in a moment, but those desires, turning those desires up, are key to your happiness, to God's glory, and to your capacity to say, though being generous with your whole life, I never made a sacrifice. Because I was always doing what I desired. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So when Livingston found competing desires playing in his heart, he wasn't surprised. Guys, this is key. This is a really big deal. You should expect all the time that one of your basic jobs as a human being is every moment to sort of consciously or subconsciously sort through the things you desire and decide what you're going to do. Decide which one you're going to listen to. So, So he wasn't surprised when he found a competing desire here or there to be back in London. 
He, he wasn't surprised here or there to find a competing desire to go back and find a wife and be done with this extended sub-Saharan celibacy. He, he knew those things would be there. But he also knew there were other tunes in his heart that he could turn up. And so what he could do was he could, he could see those desires that he did not want to obey begin to increase in volume. And, and he could go and say, but there are these desires that I do want to obey, and I'm going to increase their volume and drown out those. And, and there's a little more to that, and we'll talk about that more next week. It's not a perfect metaphor. So giving your whole service to Jesus in a way that you can be joyful without boasting that pleases God giving your whole life to Jesus is going to come down to your ability to know that at any given time, there's a song playing in your heart that is mostly geared towards selfishness and short-term thinking. And there's another song in your heart that's mostly geared toward the kingdom. And you have the choice, if you're in Christ, to tune one up, turn one up, and turn one down. And one of the basic ways you'll do that is by acting on the one desire or the other. There's a, there are very few things that can affect your desires more deeply than simply acting on them. You're reinforcing that desire. You're turning the volume up over and over again. The more you act on it, the more you're turning it up. And that has a negative implication because there are some desires you don't want to follow and obey. And you're really in that Romans 7 kind of moment of like, I don't do what I desire to do. What's going on? Well, at, I, as hard as this may seem, the more you give in to that, the more you dance to that tune, the louder that tune's going to play. But there's some positive sense of that too. Because right now in your heart, you do have the desire to love people in a radical way. You do. Right now in your heart, you do have the desire to store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. Like, you have that desire right now. How can I be so sure of that? Well, that's the thing. Because what Christ has done for you in saving you is not merely to get you out of hell, but to put heaven inside of you. To put his desires inside of you. To import his catalog of songs into your heart and they're there if you're in christ those desires are there so the other day people sometimes ask me what i do for fun and uh not a lot but uh this i think this is fun uh the other but one of the things i do and this i I admit this sounds a little crazy but one of the things i'll do is i'll sit down with a really nice set of headphones in front of my apple music collection and I will listen to cover covers of well-known songs. One cover, other cover, other cover, other. Multiple versions of the same song for like a couple hours. And I really geek out on this. And I was telling somebody I did this, and they said, that sounds like torture to them. And I'll read about the bands that are playing the music. So the other day, I, I was interested in this musical concept called counter-harmony and, or counter-melody. And so I, I started thinking about what songs have counter melody. And one of the songs that's a pop song that has counter melody is the Beatles song, Paperback Writer. And so I listened the other day to, to this was my day off, don't worry, to 20 
to, to at least at least 20 different covers of the song Paperback Writer. And I just love it. I love cover bands. People like to knock cover bands, like knock wedding. I don't, I don't get it. Like cover bands are great. There are some great songs out there that deserve to be played over and over and over again. And I like that there's two different kinds of cover bands. And the one kind is essentially shooting for perfect execution of the song as it came out in the recording. So Angie and I were somewhere, you know, a month ago or so, and there was a band that was playing Blondie music, and they were nailing it. They sounded just like Blondie. It's like, well, that's pretty impressive technically. I think that's cool. But I like the other kind of cover band more, and that's the kind that puts their unique musicianship, their unique genre spin on a particular song. And so like with the, with the Paperback Rider song, there's a bluegrass cover, there's a jazz cover, there's a classical cover. There are bands that you've never heard of called the Beat Bugs and the Little Smokies and the Vitamin String Quartet and the Weaklings and the Cowsills. And they're all playing different versions of Paperback Rider according to their own kind of genre and tendencies. And friends, here's the beautiful thing. Jesus has placed his desires in you like he's placed a catalog of songs in you. What are the beautiful things that he's doing in bringing many sons and daughters to glory is he's imported all of these sweet songs into millions of hearts. And now he's letting them ring out back to the father in highly individualized ways. So that, so that all of the sweet songs of Jesus that the father loves to hear are now being played back through millions of different unique instruments. And what it comes down to in terms of sorting through the desires of your heart, this room full of radios, is you've just got to pay attention. You've used wisdom, you use the word of God, and you listen to these songs and you figure out, is this a Jesus song or is it not a Jesus song? And if it's a Jesus song, turn that sucker up. Let it play loud. Act on it. Dance to it. Obey it. And what you will see over time is this beautiful thing. Everybody wants this, but nobody knows how to get it, and it's the term wholeheartedness. Everybody wants it. Everybody wishes their heart had one thing, one goal, one love, one desire, this is the essential difference between me being a stinker and turning all those radios up full blast on different songs. That's like hell. And everybody wants the opposite of that. They want one thing. They want one thing. And if you will listen to the Jesus songs and turn those up time and time and time again, you're going to see that happen. Philippians 2, I read this last week. I want you to turn there, if you would, to Philippians 2, because I really want you to understand this, this incredible privilege you have to be an instrument that has the desires of Jesus within you already. So Philippians uh, 2, just verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, that's key, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, 
but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So, you see the competing desires in this passage? Look not out only for your own interests, but for the interests of others. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Why is he telling you that? Because those tunes are playing in your heart. And they're probably pretty loud because they have kind of immediate payoff. But what he's saying is, is that you have other songs playing in your heart as well. And those are yours in Christ Jesus. And those other songs are the songs of humility and compassion and generosity. And those songs are in your heart too. If you're in Christ, they're there. Just quiet. And what Paul wants you to do, and he's writing Colossians 3 or Philippians 2 with the Holy Spirit, is he wants you to see that you actually can turn up the Jesus songs and begin to live a life that others would call sacrifice, but that you would not see as sacrifice. Because you're simply doing what you feel like you want to do. Because the desires of Jesus have filled your heart. And now they're yours. That's how the statement, God wants you to spend your excess income on your desires works. If you're in Christ, you have within you right now the desire the song playing on one of those radios, the desire to count others more significant than yourselves. And by the way, that has an economic uh, implication. Count others more significant than yourselves. There's, there's some actions there. There's some choices there. There's some things you would do differently if that was happening. If you were dancing to that song, count others more significant than yourselves would affect your actions just as it affected Christ's actions. But there's a way for you to do this that feels entirely like you're getting the best end of the deal and that you're doing exactly what you want to do. We choose to act on it. We turn up the volume. Over time, those songs dominate the room of our hearts The real trick there in radical generosity is to understand that at any given time, you've got competing desires, but that some of them are Jesus's and they've been given to you. So I think there may be an even greater promise, and I might be, uh, I might be a little bit on a limb here, but I, I think there's an even greater promise in Colossians 3, and I want to reference this real quickly. Why do we have to have why do we have to have a room full of radios in the first place? Why why did God make us to have competing desires? Why do we have competing desires? What's the deal with that? I believe uh, prior to the fall this seems to be a part of life to have competing desires. So what's that for? Well, Colossians 3 says, put on love, which binds everything together 
in perfect harmony. What if, what if the love of Jesus one day makes all those radios harmonize with one another? And I'm not saying what if the love of Jesus turns them all to the same station. What I'm saying is, what if all of those songs which seem contradictory had this magical moment of confluence and every desire in your heart was somehow sanctified, godly, but different and varied. And it all worked together. And you were this whole, unified, integrated thing. And every bit of you was right and whole. You're still a human being. You still have a body. You still have an imagination. You still like to eat. But what if I think this is more than a what if. What if the final act of God's grace on the human soul is to turn all of those radios into one beautiful symphony that's playing together? We have these moments every once in a while where we're sitting in our car on a rainy day and the tune on the radio syncs up with the wipers. Isn't that cool? What if what if your whole life what if that's what if that's the final act of God's glorifying redemption, God's redeeming work in your life? What if the final act of redeeming is that all of it sinks up? And this love that's Jesus' love harmonizes your entire being. I think if you Use your imagination. You can see. That's what I was made for. All of this complexity and weirdness and individuality and all of these competing desires and this this taxonomy that I have to run through all the time in my head. Like I think if you really have thought about it, you would see you're made to be this amazingly complex instrument that is harmonized and tuned perfectly by the love of Jesus. So let's wrap some of this up. We're almost done. I say this as a pastor, that I, as, a, as a loving kind of just want to make sure that you're paying attention. Some of you may not understand that you're a room full of radios. And I think that can help you because I think you don't necessarily see that life is sort of all about which song you dance to. And that you're not captive to one desire or another. Some of you don't understand that in Christ you have all the desires you need. Ephesians says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And I can think of no other set of rich blessings that I would want. This is real. Like, mean this wholeheartedly. There's no set of blessings I would want from God more than the desires of Jesus to be put in my heart. So I want you to see that you're a room full of competing desires, of, of room full of radios. I want you to understand that there is actually a way through your actions, through your choices, and many other things, there's a way to turn some things up and turn some things down. 
I want you to see that you have, if you're in Christ, one of the greatest gifts you could ever ask for, and that is you have the very desires, the very loves of Jesus in your heart right now. A lot of the difficulties you face, a lot of the self-loathing or even senses of self-sabotage that you may experience are tied in with the basic principles we see in Romans 7 in Galatians 5, for instance, Galatians 5, 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And here's the deal, friends. The desires of the flesh are loud and showy and annoying. They're not that powerful compared to the quiet, constant, steady, true melody of the Spirit. Spirit's going to win. You may be thinking, who will save me from this contradictory chaos? As Paul says in Romans 7, who will save me from this sense of competing desires I keep winding up on the wrong side of? Well, insert Christ. Insert one song, one higher desire to dominate the room of our hearts. This whole sense, we're going to talk about it one more week next week, this whole sense that God wants you to work to provide for your own needs, that if you work, you'll probably earn more than you need, and that God wants you to spend all of that excess on what you desire. I was having that conversation with a friend this week, and he told me about an instance I didn't know about from Martin Luther's life, and this is perfect confluence with what I'm trying to get at. Someone came up to Luther quite hostily and said, this whole free grace thing, you know, you're, you, this whole thing you're preaching, like, if I believe that, I could do whatever I wanted. And Luther says, exactly. What do you want? What do you desire? You're spending your money on it right now. You're spending your life on it right now. But you're not stuck there. Because there are other songs that are playing quietly in your heart right now. And you could turn them up. You could act on them. And you could begin to experience the love that harmonizes all things. You could participate in that life that Livingston lived where you were annoyed when someone looked at your generosity, your works of faith, and said, wow, that's quite a sacrifice. No, I'm only doing what I enjoy doing. I only do, I'm only doing what I want to do. I'm receiving my reward both now and later because that's who Jesus has made me to be. Let me pray.